tonight on Whiskey Waffle. Car strength is very curvaceous. There's a taste in there for everyone. Dead seagulls. Oh, God. Oh, man, that's so strong. Oh, man. And you know the crazy thing? What is the crazy thing? We love it. That's this episode on Whiskey Waffle, the podcast. I mean, cast. Bonjour, bonjour, fellow wafflers. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Um, um, um. Oh, oh, oh. No, I'm out of French words. Um, tell me, escargot. No, throw some other French cliches in here, Ted. French cliches. <laughs> they've, they've all escaped my head. Yeah, you just tend to beget all about them. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no, 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 um, no. The reason that I am starting with French cliches is because I am currently in France. Well, okay, not actually this moment. I'm sitting in my chair at home and Ted is sitting across from me. But when you're listening to this, I am going to be in the Loire Valley of France um, on route between um, the Bordeaux region and the Burgundy region. Um, and yeah, having a good time with my family over there. So we're pre-recording this, getting it out in advance. I will probably be just bumming around at home. Going to work. No one cares, Ted. No one cares. They yeah, just want to hear about my adventures. Yeah, so yeah. I'm pretty excited. So going to the UK, um, so visiting England for a couple of weeks, and there are a few distilleries yeah. I intend to visit. I was going to say, I believe there is a distillery that you are going to visit. Yes. Um, so one that we've reviewed and talked about before, but I actually discovered there's one down in Dartmouth, mm. which I'm going to be in Dartmouth. Mm. So I should go and visit the distillery, right? No. 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 Mm. <laughs> yeah, and then... More wine-related things in France, as you may have picked up from my navigation around the country, like uh, places in France. Paris, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Champagne. I don't think you were making it to Champagne. No, not, I'm not making it to Champagne, ah. but I know it's in France. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I will learn a lot about France while I'm there. But, yeah, that is where I'm currently at. So, yeah, bonjour to everyone, and I hope you're all having a fun time back in Australia. Please send him a carrière pigeon. <laughs> Love it a lot. All right, then. Well, seeing as um, we're pre-recording this and haven't had a chance to uh, assess all our listener feedback, I think we just move straight along. Right, Nicholas, let us talk whiskey. Because normally we talk about completely different things to whiskey. The Waffle. Yo, yo, dude, dude, dude. Yeah, yeah, Are you yeah. feeling strong? Oh, I'm always strong, too. Are you feeling fit? Uh, yeah, you, sometimes. Are you, you feeling swole? Okay, you're narrowing it down now. I don't think I've ever feeling swole. I don't know if I've ever felt swole either. <laughs> How, um, how's your strength feeling? Oh, I reckon I'm at least 60% of 100% strength. That must mean that you are cask strength. Yeah. So I told Ted two words for this uh, episode, and they were simply cask strength. We haven't planned this. We haven't uh, chatted with each other about the things to talk about, but... um. It is a big deal for whiskey drinkers having something that is cask strength. And uh, I thought just having a fun whiskey lubricated chat about it would be fun. So the first question I want want to ask you. Yes. How are you leading this off? How is most whiskey normally released and how, how and how does it get to that point? Yes, this is a good point because before we talk about what cask strength is, like what is normal? Because it's normally not released at cask strength. It's normally released at, I say, Bottling strength, mm. um, distiller strength, plebs on the street strength. I don't know. And usually that is definitely starts with a four. 
Um, if you're Diageo, it finishes with a zero. Hmm. 400%. No. Um, 40, 400%. <laughs> 40%. But 43% is also often a very common one. 46% magic number. Is the magic number. And a lot of people release it at 46% because mm. it's just that little bit higher. But cast strength are none of those percentages. Okay. Well, let's let's even take a step back. So what percentage would whiskey... So once once we've uh, we've taken a beer... Yes, we've, we're going right we, back, yeah. We've taken a beer. Yeah, in we're, the beginning there was the word. Yeah, and, and what percentage is the beer? Uh, the beer, about 6.5%. 6.5%. So then we chuck it into our still and we distill it. And what what do we? What percentage are we at after our first distillation? Yeah, so we get our low wines at around about that 26 to 28%. Yep, and so then we take them again. Yep. And if we're most people in the world, we distill it just a second time. And yep. where, where do we hit about then? About like 68%. Yep. And if, if we're some people in the world, we right. distill it a third time. Yeah, if we're if we're a twiddly D potato Irish, then uh, yeah, it gets up to about 80 by that stage. Or, or Damien uh, Mackey. Yes, true. Yeah. Shout out to Damien. Uh, sorry, what percentage was that? Yeah, high 70s, 80s. High, se- high 70s, 80s. That's, that's quite strong. Yes. Quite strong. And if we're Russian, that's quite weak. So <laughs> yeah. we, we just, just getting like, there for Russia. We, we just still at the fourth and the fifth time until it's like 99.98%. <laughs> and then it's just about right. Yeah. No, no. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's coming out like most of it's coming about 68%. Some of it's coming out like high 70, like 70s, 80s percent. And that's, yeah, that's if it's, it's a slightly inefficient still, it might be only coming out about 65. Yeah. But then, but then as you Depends just said you before, most of it that we're drinking is at 40 to 46 percent say yes and of course that is a, a process that happens much later yeah in now the whiskey's when we stick whiskey in a barrel part of your whiskey profile is water mm-hmm. and part of it is juicy alcohols and one of them is going to evaporate yeah one well of they're both going to evaporate but which is going to evaporate yeah. more what what will evaporate preferentially so sometimes you can actually go up in strength um, so that that's really not helping us in our um, quest to how how do we get to yes, and I guess the question is Ted, does 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 it go into the barrel at forty to forty six percent? No, it doesn't. Ah, so do you know? Actually, I'm not sure if he does. What is because numbers aren't his strong point. Uh, what the what the number that goes into the six, barrel traditionally in Scotland? Sixty five point something. Sixty four, sixty five point something. Yeah, no, a little bit lower. Sixty three point something. Yeah, sixty three and a half is sixty three point five. Yeah, yeah. So so let's say we put it in there at the uh, traditional mm. um, Scottish strength yep, 63 of 63, and 63 and a half. Yep. And we leave it there for a traditional Scottish length of 12 years. Yes. How much do we think, percentage do we think we're going to have at the end of that? So you're probably going to be down on your quantity, but you're also probably going to be in the high 50s to mm. mid 50s sometimes in terms of... So let's say 55 to 58%? Yeah. So I reckon about 56 to 59 we're going to yeah, go okay. with. Okay. But that's that is that is not the normal drinking strength. So no. So then you've got to actually, if you wanted a lower percentage, which means that you can spread it further, add water. Yeah. Just add water. Just add water. Mm. Rehydrate your whiskey. <laughs> exactly. Or, or dilute is an absolutely accurate example. Mm. Is is what is done. Make sure the water comes from some romantically named lock nearby, and uh, add it to your. A cask strength whiskey, and there we are. We've finally got onto cask strength. Cask oh yeah, strength that's uh, sorry. That's a strength that about. comes from the barrel. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So cask, cask strength. It is the percentage that once you have decided that this is when my barrel is ready and it's going to be released, mm-hmm. you take a sample of that whiskey that's in that barrel with your equipment, 
And the number that comes out... I can't can't hear saying your equipment and not think you're talking about a penis. Anyway, continue. (laughs) You dip dip your wick into the uh, barrel. (laughs) Your spirit thief. (laughs) You you stick your spirit thief into the bunghole (laughs) and uh, draw a sample out. (laughs) Not leave a sample behind. (laughs) No, No, you can't have additives in whiskey, so... (laughs) (laughs) Caramel colouring and other inverted commas. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um... If you if you choose not to put any water in it to break it down, that's that's I think what the uh, the technical terms is for it yeah. break, breaking it down. It's one of those crossovers between um, whiskey making and heavy metal. Yep. If you don't do a breakdown and you release it at the strength that it comes out of the barrel at, that is cask strength. Yes, we've defined it. Uh, most of our listeners knew that though, but um, yeah. that, I'm sure they really appreciated the whiskey waffle or a rambling <laughs> version of it. We had to walk for a bit. I know, I know. I love it, I love it. They love it. You love it. You know you do. In my head, like, from from when we were growing up from very little whiskey newbies. Mm. Whiskey toddlers. Whiskey toddlers. My knowledge about whiskey was that, like, Scottish stuff you'd get at, like, a broken down strength, whereas Tasmanian whiskey was at car strength because you had 20 litre barrels and you'd bring it out of the barrel and you'd release it. Well, Well, most of it was, like... Yeah, at, at a cast strength, and it was just whatever it came out at. Mm-hmm. And you get, I don't know, 25 bottles, and they would be at 58%. Yep. And that was cast strength. 71% in uh, some cases. Yes. It's an interesting one because for your regular alcohol drinker, not a whiskey drinker, but regular, regular alcoholic. Yeah, <laughs> regular, your regular booze drinker, drinking something at 60% is a scary concept. Like, mm. that does not appeal to your average Joe or your average Johnny Walker drinker. Car strength is, uh, you know, 50% a gain on top of mm. those spirits that those people are drinking. Yeah. And you know the crazy thing? What is the crazy thing? We love it. We do. Whiskey fans, not just Ted and I, Waffle is everywhere, really got on board with car strength whiskey. There is a magic about it. Mm. Um, something really uh, amazing and... It's just a whole new experience. A whole new world. A whole new whiskey world. You don't drink it fast. You savor it. Mm. This is a whole new level. And it's level of complexity and level of mm. depth that you cannot achieve with 43% whiskey. Alcohol itself has a flavor to it. Mm. And also, it's not just flavor. It's also feel. It's it's mouthfeel. It's, yeah. it's how it interacts with your palate. Body. Body, that's a good way Yeah, of putting it. We um, are very attracted by the body. Yes. Of, uh, we're, we're, we're shallow whiskey drinkers. Yes. And car strength is very curvaceous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is thick. No, it's um, it's just got so much more to it. And for some people, they will go running for the hills. But I've got a feeling for all, all our listeners here, it's going to make them feel very warm inside. Mm. Now, for... For seasoned drinkers like us, we 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 will um, get some car strength, and we'll no no water, no no mm. ice, pfft, ice, <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing like that. We'll sip it down, and we'll we'll go. Ah, oh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Mm, I like that. Whereas <laughs> freshies, um, we'll drink it and go. <coughs> oh God, jeez, oh, oh. yeah. That's kind of where I want to talk about because um, let's use. Hillwood, as an example. Mm. So Hillwood Distillery, uh, just north of Launceston, well, in Hillwood, they released exclusively as cask strength. And 
that's a conscious decision because they're quite a small distillery. Um, they don't have too much to release. Probably 25 to 30 bottles of yeah, pop. Yeah, for one of their small releases. Like, that's their sort of batch size. But they deliberately only release as cast strength. There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of them, they have the most incredible color of any whiskey oh I've my just God, about bought. So why would, you, why would you want to like water that down to have a slightly lighter color to release it? Two, they are really proud of the flavors they get at that percentage. And Ted and I, from what we've tried, we agree. But finally, and this is the point I want to make, they give you, the taster, the person who's experiencing the opportunity to decide how you want to drink it. Because you don't have to drink it at cast strength. You can add water, as we mm. talked about before, and bring it down to a slightly lower percentage. Or you can add maybe... Some more alcohol. <laughs> and bring it bring up. It up. <laughs> Add some silent spirit in there. Um, fortify that <laughs> cast strength whiskey. <laughs> yeah, you can do that. That's an option. Um, but significantly, you can add maybe you know 50% again of water and bring it to a 40% if that's what you want. You can choose to drink it how you want. Because as all um, good distillers, blenders, uh, whiskey makers say, you can add water, but you can't take it away again. Mm-hmm. So if you're prepared to release it just at car strength, that gives the buyer the option. I think there are, like, in a lot of cases, there are two lines that intersect when when these decisions are being made. Mm-hmm. One is dollar signs line. One, one, is, one is dollar signs and the other is flavor profile. Yep. So adding more water equals more whiskey. Yep. Is it, more you're, bottle you're, sales. You, you're increasing your volume... So let's say for a let's say for a twenty liter barrel, you'd get twenty five bottles. Mm-hmm. Let's 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 just say that as a thing. If you break it down to a lower percentage, you're potentially going to get like fifty bottles. 60 yeah, bottles you won't quite, you won't quite double it. You'll um you'll get an extra say. Yeah, I don't know ten or fifteen. Yeah. Then you've got to make a decision about how much can I sell that whiskey for as well. So if I break that down to if I sell it at this price and I have it at uh, this many bottles, like, can I s- reduce the price slightly but get more bottles and actually mm. make more money off it? This is it because it doesn't just, the dollars don't increase relative to alcohol percentage. Mm. There's a lot more considerations. And yeah, sometimes you just find a middle ground, which is what a lot of distillers do. Sometimes you release both, like over in we talk about the stiller strength and the cast strength. Typically, your cast strength will be a lot more expensive than than your sort of regular releases. You will have a you. It won't just be a bit more; it will be a lot more. Ah, uh, yes, but if it's fifty percent more in terms of alcohol, is it fifty percent more in terms of price? Mm. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So yeah, it's a really interesting one. But I want to finish up this cast strength discussion with um. A mention of the Messiah, Mr. Duckett. Mm. He's not the Messiah. He's just a very naughty boy. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> um, so he makes Hartwood, but he also makes Tib. But for this cast range discussion, Tib is irrelevant. Tib, no, Tib, Tib is watered down. Yes. No. So Hartwood is always released at a cast strength comparable percentage, um, usually in that sort of 60%, sometimes a little bit lower. But also sometimes a lot higher as well. I've got a seventy-two percent convict resurrection. Oh my god, 72 percent. Just just for anyone maybe who even do, isn't really familiar with whiskey that much, seventy-two percent is ridiculous. And the crazy thing is, so my wife, who's not a whiskey drinker, she actually quite likes Hartwood mm. because it's car strength. 
because she says it just dissolves on the on the tongue. It melts in the mouth in a whiskey way. It's pretty good. I will say sometimes you get the cast strength ones and you go, oh man, that is that is a bit intense. Like something is not happening there. Yeah, and then you try adding some water that. and you can find a really good point to it. I'd say that that is a less common experience though mm. because often people only release at cast strength if it tastes good at cast strength. Mm. And if they don't think it tastes good enough at cast strength, it will go into the lower percentage. Yeah, sometimes that is the one that's been married or blended, and sometimes it just works better at a lower percentage. It's someone's job. Just put out there, everyone. It's someone's job to taste a whiskey from a barrel at cast strength, at a slightly lower percentage, at 46, at 43, at 49, and decide which is best. Mm. That is someone's job in different distilleries. Not bad, people. Not bad. It's a pretty good sounding job. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to you've got to stay sober enough to really lock in what it is. But we've uh we've done it ourselves with some of our friend distillers and um because the bottom line of the business doesn't depend on our opinion, we're able to extensively sample those Indeed. uh those whiskies and um we gave strong opinions. Whether they were correct or not, nobody knows. So folks, what are your favorite cast strength whiskies? Yes. Do do you even like I mean <laughs> Do you even like cast strength whiskies? You're the, you're the whiskey waffle fan base. Of course you like ca- yeah. cast strength whiskies. Or do you? Mm. Maybe you're the anti cast strength yeah. crusader. Forty percent only, thank you. Thirty seven preferable. <laughs> so Nicholas, we've been talking about cask strength whiskey for a while. Should we drink some cask strength whiskey? Let's drink something and let's let's drink something that's not one of those classics. Let's find something a little bit more random for people to try. Something unique? Ah, nah, let's just find something very unique instead. Sorry, I completely blanked out there for a minute. I, like, what? I can edit out the blank, Ted, it's fine. Yeah. The whiskey! As we've just been uh, discussing in The Waffle, we have been talking about cask strength. Now, we have a... This is a pretty light cask strength, actually. Mm. Oh, wait, no, that's um that's last week's one. Sorry, never mind. <laughs> On the Glen Canyon, my right. Um, oh, that's a cast strength. So this is one that we've mentioned before on the pod. I got them as a series of uh, bottles, mainly due to the packaging, which is very, very, very pretty. It is very pretty, yeah. It is very pretty. So the, the, the whiskey that we're talking about today is Mactala. 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 Morrison, Morrison Mactala. Oh, so it's owned by Morrison, yeah. So Morrison. Now, Morrison own, you, you might have heard of um, brands Carnmore and Old Perth. They're both sort of indie indie brands. Morrison, Morrison's does indie stuff. But, but do they also own Bowmore? <laughs> I was just about to get to that. <laughs> they do also own Bowmore. Now, Mactala, the Mactala series, it's... Particular thing is it's all Isla origin stuff. Ah, oh, so the McTullo is all from Isla. Yeah, Bowmore is on Isla. So. It is on Isla. Now this this isn't a blend. It like there's nothing on there that says blend at all. I think it says sing, single origin whiskey. No. The very fact that Morrison owns Bowmore <laughs> would probably suggest that it's it's a strong chance that it is uh yeah, Bowmore Origin whiskey. It, it narrows it down. So, what specific uh, release in this series? So, is this this is their Mara release, M A R A. Yep. And very importantly for this discussion, on the front it has the words "cask 
strength. Ah, yes. So this is the cask strength release in this colourful series. Mm. Um, just for those playing along with a pretty packaging, this is the blue one. Yeah, this so is the blue one. There's a, a lovely green... um, sky blue. Yeah, there's a green one and there's a purple one as well. It's quite close to a Brooklady blue, actually, but not quite there. Mm. There's a bit more green than Brooklady. So the green the, the green one's like their normal strength one. I can't remember exactly what it was. The The purple one is the 15-year-old, but this is the this is the middle one of the series. This is the cask strength. And it's called Mara. So I'm curious, what does Mara mean? Um, because me as a Doctor Who fan, I know it's a snake monster from the Peter Davidson era, which was poorly realized in the episode Kinder. So Mara is the Scots Gaelic word meaning the sea. The sea. Oh, so like French Lamar, the sea. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lamar. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is at 58.2%. Ah, so it is a cask strength. So it comes out of the barrel at this percentage. Mm. Glad we've defined that accurately and in quite sickening detail before. So all that really remains for us to do is talk about what it smells and tastes like. So being from Isla, you would expect no no sort of notes of smoke at all. It would be very, very neutral. No, no, no. It's Isla. Yeah. Mm. Oh, and there is some delicious smokiness to it. Mm. It does have that Isla coastal nature to it. Yeah, the peach if, if it's Bowmore, then mm. yeah, it pr- it probably smells like Bowmore. Yeah, the peach reek is there, but um, yeah, they they do their own thing with it as well. It's not it's not classic Bowmore. I think this is almost they've let the seaweed stew for another few weeks. S- seaweed, you're mm. absolutely. Right. I was thinking that myself. It's got seaweed stranded on the beach. There's I just I just like that funky sort of nature s- to it. Salty elemental mm. sea spray in there as well. Yep. Probably some fish bones as well. Nice sweetness on the back. Perhaps dead seagulls as well. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's a tasting note for everyone. Dead seagulls. But it, it, you, what did you mention on the back? Because like the back of the nose, of course, we're talking about now, people. Because there's something that really just reaches up my nostrils, and I can't place it. Yeah, uh, on the end, it's, it's a probably, funny. It's probably note, the ghost it? of the dead seagull. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's slightly sharp at the back. Mm. It's maybe maybe a bit of alcoholic alcoholicness. Yeah, yeah. But that initial burst you get is awesome. Mm. Well, shall we try it? Yes. No, we've uh, waffled about the nose for too long. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, it's it's just got that delicious Isla peatiness mm. on there. It's full on salt. And the mm. salt presents in the cast strength nature. So we've been talking about cast strength all episode. That's something that we've wanted to chat about. And like it's a full-on salt mouth rinse. Mm. The spirit itself has an oiliness to it, which is from the uh, percentage as well, I think. Yep. It's quite thick. Finishes mm. with a bit of sort of a dusty sort of, um, yeah, sooty sort of smear the tongue. It's... I- that, that peat is it's sweet and bright it's like standing on the beach on a sunny blustery day with a with a salt spray blowing across you it's interesting how we associate those words sweet and peat it's not just because they rhyme i mean it's mostly because they rhyme but um no it's funny how like peat can bring out a sweetness in it i had some of my lefroig 15 year old the other night and that oh, really? had a real yeah real sweetness to it mm isn't it curious how it works? Because I don't think it's deliberate. It's not mm. like it's been in a PX cask. Like it's just the way that it interacts with the like the mm. barrel sugars, and yeah, it just 
the spirit itself. So ah. it's yeah, it's had a good starting point. Speaking of barrels, like, does it mention casks? No, not at all. I mean, looking Thank at you. the color and just from tasting it, I wouldn't suggest anything apart from probably first fill bourbon. Uh, nope. It's too busy being pretty. The box. So. Yeah, the the box is just being pretty. Yeah, I can tell you it's uh, non chill filtered, no added color. But yeah, but I mean, but that's that's a significant thing. Like, there's definitely body. There's definitely depth. There's definitely character. You know, there's no caramel coloring added. There's no chill filtering. This is full on seawater infused with peated barley. Like, all right, thank you, Master of Malt, coming through as usual. Um, we do know that it was drawn from American oak casks. Yeah, well... Yeah, they they do say that we don't know which distillery on Ireland this whiskey came from, whereas Nick's does. Mm. Ah, Nick's. Nick's well, Nick, Nick's, Nick's uh, guesses at the... Nick's uh, does or Nick does, because uh, have we, Nick, Nick, are we Nick, of one mind? You're both guessing at Beaumont, so... All right, okay, so 100% of Nick's uh, in this conversation think Beaumont. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it fits that it's um, uh, American oak. Yeah. Not bad. I would say no. It's not bad. It's potentially, potentially got a, a few, just a few jags that haven't uh, elevated it to its fullest potential. But it's um, it's a fun ride. Mm. I, I do enjoy drinking it. Do you think the car strength makes or is neutral to the this whiskey? So I don't think it breaks it, but um, I think in terms of this whiskey, it's a relatively light feeling car strength thing. I don't think it whacks you in the face with it. Well, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to add a drop of water, bring mm. it down to potentially a distiller's strength, if you want to use the marketing wank. Yeah, I'll give it a shot as well. A shot of water. Oh, it's generous. And the problem is, like, we're always going from a high strength to a lower strength. You, yeah. You never want to do that, but I think I've ruined the whiskey. On the nose, it's pumped up a bit of the seaweed and a bit of stoniness to it. I think it, I've made it taste more like faints. <laughs> yeah, I've I've lost like adding the water in has just lost the um lost the body of it on the palate. Yeah, I mean, but I'm so biased because I've just been drinking at car yeah. strength, and this is the thing us whiskey drinkers like that talking about loving car strength. Is it because we are whiskey addicts and we need more? We need heavier. We need more full on. We need more peat, and we need more booze. Like forty percent. Would once upon a time would have cut it nicely for us, but now we're like shooting it up into our eyeballs and yeah, basically, like we just need more. And I know that's a ridiculous statement, but there's a nugget of truth in there that your palates adjust to the lower percentage, to the forty percent, the forty three percent, and we're searching for that. I'm sure there's a nice equilibrium, especially around that forty six. But mm. for for some like whiskey fans, like. That sort of forty nine percent is like a really good baseline, and um, I can I can get behind that. Is that because we've just broken our palates over time? Yeah. Well, these days, as I've said, like we we'll just drink a car strength and be like, "Hmm, that's a nice whiskey." Whereas, yes, people who don't have our quite our developed level of <laughs> just overexposed level. overexposed palates. Be like, oh god, oh man, that's so strong. Oh, my, oh. well, the time has come. Yes, we must give a number to this bottle. Yes, I, I don't think I can quite give it a four. I think, I think I'd need to try it against the rest of its, its, its two siblings to um be able to really define whether it did deserve to go up. But 
It's a high three, at least. Yeah, it's got all the things I like in a whiskey. Um, there's probably a, a few too many faults for me to give it a four, but mm. yeah, um, the, the the most recent fault was my own fault for putting water in it. Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe a better whiskey would have stood up to the water. No, I'm I'm, I'm joking. I've ruined it. I'll, gi- I'll give it. A, I will give it a four on marketing though. <laughs> the bo- the bottles and the boxing and like the the set is beautiful. Ted's bought himself a set. He loves nothing better than a set. Even if the whiskey inside is just the same Glenn Farkless bottle <laughs> just three times over. Oh, man, yes. Uh, he does love a set. We, we should crack those up in some time. Yeah. Um, yes, the Terra, Mara, and Strata next to each other. Bang on. Cleon sitting at home just like, why did I ask this question? Amateurs, absolute amateurs. Whiskey, would you rather? Nicholas. Yes. Trying to sound as, as big and bold as you. What is it, Ted? Whiskey, would you rather? Oh, crap. <clears throat> Four words that strike fear into the heart of any waffler. I mean, this 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 one, I suppose, is like a for a thing to happen or not for a thing to happen. So politics, right? Yeah, it was something we were talking about the other day. Whiskey, would you rather for a Tasmanian geographic indicator to get up? Meaning that rules were set around what actually constituted Tasmanian whiskey, but then liable to exclude certain a certain number of distilleries, like let's say Einhouse Distillery, ones ones that potentially produced their whiskey using hybrid still equipment. So we yeah we're thinking ones like Einhouse, we're thinking Turner Stillhouse. And so, cre- cre- creating creating sort of a a schism in the Tasmanian industry, and sort of kind of excluding a certain amount of people, but then also like it also sets rules around what what does define Tasmanian whiskey, and so not not so much for threats from inside the state, more threats from outside the state gives a greater level of control over who and who can actually make it and what you can call Tasmanian whiskey or not and letting sort of continuing kind of being a bit of the wild west south um <laughs> southern wild southern, southern wild um and yeah and and sort of having this, this kind of broader definition within the scene um and allowing those kind of variations in terms of production but then but then yeah as we just were saying like it also then leaves back doors open for sort of dodgy people outside of Tasmania to kind of like call themselves Tasmanian whiskey, even though they're not really Tasmanian whiskey. Right, Ted, I'm going to get you to stop talking there because this is the longest ever question that whiskey would you rather that we've ever had. Um, so I'm going to but summarize. You, you can give the shortest ever answer. No, 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 because this is a topic that I want to speak at length about. That's why yeah. I'm trying to jump in before, yeah, um, okay. yeah, before I, everything I was, that I was comes kind out. of done there anyway. So. Yeah. So basically, for those people that sort of fell asleep partway through Ted's question, um, he's asking, would I like to see a Tasmanian single malt whiskey appellation come in, which would be at the expense of anyone that's not using a pot still distillation, or would I like to see all still types embraced, but then no Tasmanian appellation, which does potentially leave the door open for some dodgy dealings. Yep. Essentially that. Mm. Good and work. It is a good question. And it is not a 
like a hypothetical situation because this is very real at the moment. It is still something that the Tasmanian Whiskey and Spirits Association is looking to pursue, Tasmanian Appalachian, and it, gosh, it has formed some schisms in the industry mm. when they've tried this in the past. There so, are sides. Yeah, it's a very political thing. Uh, we've spoken on, on both sides, and you know what? I think that both sides are both correct and incorrect in their views. It's just that they, like, they're, they're working towards the same aim, but they bloody can't figure out the right way to go about that but anyway that's um that's probably an aside aside but i've got two big points that i want to raise with this one the first <laughs> I, th- I can see one of them right in front of me <laughs> <laughs> um i always have a large point when you come around teddy boy <laughs> so I'll, I'll start with basically the answer to your question um whiskey would you rather and i actually think that it is important at this stage of the whiskey industry's development to form a Tasmanian whiskey appellation um, to have some sort of definition of what Tasmanian single malt whiskey is and what it is allowed to be because there are so many big new players coming onto the scene and there's a lot of interest externally Um, and I'm not just talking like on the mainland I'm talking internationally as well for people to get something they can label Tasmanian single malt whiskey in bottle shops in many Asian, American, and European, yeah, wholesaling distributors, whatnot. Yeah, and th- and to be clear, this is these are not people like Holly in America. No, it? what's it? What's her um, um handle? Her whiskey love. Yeah, this is this isn't people like Holly. Her whiskey love um in America, um who's retailing Fanny's Bay whiskey over there, and like very very sort of conscientious, very like in good spirit of good spirit. Yeah. Of things. No, no, yeah. this is someone like a big businessman with lots of dollars in a penthouse, buys in some excess Adams, new make spirit, ships it over in a, you know, a million litre vessel, um, sticks it in a bloody great Californian ton vessel, and then calls it Tasmanian whiskey. Mm. This is the reason that we need an appellation is to stop that sort of dodgy dealings happening because as the industry grows, we're able to get exports out there, our good premium quality name is only going to increase therefore there's going to be more interest in it and therefore there are going to be people interested in cutting corners so if there are certain rules into what's allowed to be called tasmanian whiskey just like there are very specific rules about what's allowed to be called scottish whiskey and the swms is very strict about upholding those rules will break your knees if you break their rules indeed not so much going around with baseball bats because they're not very scottish but they will toss cabers yeah. in your general direction um, from about you know close range yeah. if you um just dare call yourself glenn anything so i actually think that it would be a good thing if everyone in the industry could get their act together and decide what it was i don't necessarily think it has to be to the exclusion of people with hybrid stills but that's not the whiskey would you rather um you're not asking me to find a compromise you're asking me to take a side um in this case i would prefer the appellation get up yeah. even though i do respect what iron house are doing what turner Steelhouse are doing but to be fair they still own pot stills like they can still then switch to making a tasmanian single malt whiskey and then they can produce uh, get, call it another name i don't know Whiskey, yeah, I don't know. Australia, they can call it Australian single malt whiskey yeah. still because there's no appellation for that with the stuff that they've made with their column stills. And yeah, I think that the majority of people would would still be alright with that. It just it is really unfortunate for those guys. So that is answering your question. The second part, I don't think it's ever going to happen. There's a cynical part of me that thinks that we're not going to get our act together too because many, too many different courts. I've no, I've seen it happen before. Well, I haven't seen it happen. I've heard heard tell of a very similar situation because the Tasmanian wine industry 
tried to do exactly the same thing in the 90s, 2000s about getting a Tasmanian wine appellation mm. so we can say wine of Tasmania. You might notice on bottles of wine that are, are Tasmanian, they can't say wine of Tasmania on the front because that is not a thing. Um, they're allowed to say wine of Australia, but they would just have simply the word Tasmania on the front because that's all we're allowed to say. And that, that's something I had in my mind when I was asking you that question because I knew that there were problems with the, the marketing of Tasmanian wine and mm. like you can get wines coming from the mainland mm -hmm. that are labelled Tasmanian. Well, I mean, and some of the biggest producers in the state make their wine on the mainland. Mm. So Brown Brothers own Jantz. Jantz has a processing plant on the mainland. Even those ones that are made in Tasmania are often bottled on the mainland. And I can see that I don't know. I don't know if Callington or Lark or someone like that will end up doing it, but maybe some of these new big guys starting up down in Cambridge will get their stuff bottled on the mainland. Is that going to be a sticking point? Are people who get their stuff bottled on the mainland not allowed to call it Tasmanian whiskey? Like, for example, on Isla, not that it's an appellation there either, but there's a lot of bottling done on the mainland. There's a lot of um, malting done on the mainland. Like, what part of the process needs to be Tasmanian? There's so many more things that you have to think about than you would realize. And that's what brings, not brings people together to find a solution. It polarizes them. People have very strong opinions about what they want. And yeah, they get a bit angsty with each other. And especially the way they go about it. Um, everyone goes about it in their own way. I'm not criticizing anyone. But um, yeah, there's been a lot of, uh, I guess, words spoken rashly about people doing things their own way rather than uh, coming together and um, yeah there's a lot of uh, people to blame for um, the reason that nothing has come about it so far I think I think it's a, may, maybe a slight uh, truism that strong spirits breed strong personalities <laughs> yes, yes and there yeah, are some there be, are some def right, definitely though. some strong personalities out there mm. who definitely think that their way is right yeah and unfortunately <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't lead to cohesiveness. Mm. And especially it's especially hard, I suppose, when you do... Probably wasn't so much of an issue for Scotland, maybe, at least defining that category. But for Tasmania, where we do actually have a blend of equipment types, mm. it does, yeah. Like, what, what was your point that you were talking about the other day um, when, I, when we were musing about what the addition of um, hybrid stills into the mix could lead to? Well, I suppose, you know, it's a slippery slope. A hybrid still isn't really a technical type. Like, it generally means there is a pot and a column part of it. Like, I, I guess they're trying to say that... They're trying to mean that you can't make whiskey on a, on a column still because if you allow a hybrid, you've got to allow a column, really. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you end up with silent spirit and you end up with, you know, where do you stop with the grains? Like, we're allowing different... We're allowing Belgrave, of course, mm -hmm. to call itself... A Tasmanian whiskey. It doesn't have to be single malt. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, can we call the Invergordon single grain? Yeah. I I think that probably Bernard's uh, hypothetical, strict uh, interpretation of a tas true Tasmanian spirit is probably a bit too technical and fussy. And A true Tasmanian whiskey, because the spirit we can just about yeah. manage, like we can probably cultivate some sort of yeast that is... Um, uh, from locally, we can we can do all the run, but um. But yeah, using Tassie a local barrel. grain, a local grain as well. Like I yeah, think his, well, his example was using. Um, uh, can't uh, use barley in that sense. Yeah, I think I think his example was using a uh, Thimida triandra, which is a uh, wallaby grass. 
um, using the seeds. Be interesting, that. yeah. And then of course, you know, oak barrels are very key to it. Ah, but taz, taz, taz oak, oak barrels, taz oak barrels are not quite the same thing. No, they're de- they're definitely not, and would not recommend <laughs> using them for. Yeah, and I think Bernard proposed that as a bit of a hypothetical, but um, managed to upset a few people along the yeah. way. Just see, people are easily triggered in this area. Mm. They just are. It's just buttons get pressed, and people defend what they believe is to be truly Tasmanian quite strongly. Mm. And um, maybe you would too, Ted, if we had a financial interest in it. Yeah. Whereas, fortunately, we're sort of able to look at it from a less biased, but still very... Invested. Mm. Yeah, that's it. We're still very, very Tassie focused, but we're, um, mm. yeah, at least we, we don't have our own way of doing things to, uh, to blind us to everyone else's methods. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to finish with this. It is a dangerous thing to set in stone. In some ways, it works really well. So let's talk the French. French have the most outstanding Appalachian system in the world with their wines. It protects what they've been doing, their traditions, their ways that things have been done, um, and it creates a consistent product that we can say has got a through line since they've been making wine for for a thousand years. And you know what you're going to get, you know what sort of flavors you're looking for, and um, yeah, people can continue to push their standards and keep them high, and then you're still allowed to make experimental and new world sort of stuff, but you're not allowed to call it those traditional appellations. You can't call it a burgundy, you can't call it a Bordeaux. Bubbly. Um, yeah, yeah. Can't call it a champagne. So, yeah, they still leave room for that. But it's where you edge yourself out from having any sort of ability to change. Mm. Um, an example of that is n- not the French cheese industry, but the English cheese industry. There's a lot of traditional English cheeses that have been appellated to be made in a certain particular way. And you know what's happened? Tastes have changed. Mm. And the cheesemakers are not allowed to change the way they do things to sort try and find a more younger modern market because they have to follow these set of rules that have been laid in place because of their geographic indicator or their appellation. But all the kids love Stilton. <laughs> well, that's one of the classic examples. Uh, trends come and go. Um, and some of these appellations have only been in place for 40 years, but you know, a lot of the people that made it were in their sort of 70s when they created those things and now are long since departed. And uh, now they're successes are sort of now trying to have to sell an old man's product Mm. it's a double-edged sword there's protection and there's stagnation yeah it's a fine line that's a really good point Mm. anyway ted good conversation indeed Mm. i'm glad i brought it up we're gonna have to put something with some really dirty jokes in the next section just to balance out (laughs) yeah i know this 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 was uh, i will say distressingly educational (laughs) indeed let's see what we can come up with later Oh, you got a glass? I do, right there. Do you oh, have a glass? No. <laughs> um, Polish off one of them. Fresh meat! Fresh meat! You know you know how I, um, over the uh, time that we've been doing this podcast, had a bit of a struggle with getting bottles open? <laughs> he hasn't had a struggle with buying bottles. It's just uh, from the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, from that from that perspective, I definitely do have a problem with getting bottles open. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hard put to keep up the pace with what comes onto my shelf. Yes, but the other thing is you do struggle with a wax seal. <laughs> oh, God, that, that Michel Cavoir is just a <laughs> uh, nightmare, nightmare. Mm. Anyway, I will You've say... You've invented something. No, 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 I haven't invented anything, but I will say that this is the first bottle oh, that I had to get open with a screwdriver. Oh, really? The cap was on 
with a few screws? Well, no, I, I mean, I probably am laboring the point a bit here, but it's not actually the bottle that I need to get open. It's actually the bloody box. The box has been screwed shut. There's no, like, swing door. No, no, not, not that I've managed. It's not It's not like that Hillwood with the uh, secret swing top yeah. on it. Um, no, this is, this is actually a very strong-looking fruit cake, uh, fruit cake, fruit crate <laughs> style affair. Yeah, no, it looks it. Well, so, while I'm doing some uh, screwing... Hey, hey, hey! Yeah, all right, you brought your screws over with... This is great audio content. Yeah, no, look, yeah. No, I was, I was going to... Yeah, I actually I actually have a screwdriver here with me. Yeah. Um, it's, to, not, it's not the biggest screwdriver I've ever seen. I like it! It's what you do with it that counts. Yeah. All right. Short and stumpy. Have a good time, good time! Is that a short and stumpy screwdriver in my pocket, Ted, or are you just pleased to see me? Both, buddy, both. <laughs> yeah, both about the same size. Oh, let loose, honey! <laughs> yeah so anyway this this box comes from an australian brand it's called you may have heard of it 36 short 36 short is this in south australia yeah yeah, yeah. right um, i'm saying i'm saying yeah yeah in a pretty pretty sort of knowing voice but let, let me just uh make sure i'm i'm sure i'm around that yes yes it is south australian yep. okay so 36 short have you heard of Rakia? I do not think so. Okay. Rakia. Well, Rakia. It's, it's, it's important to this story. Right. Okay, so Rakia is, from what I understand, like a Balkan fruit brandy. Okay. It's probably one of those things that, like, families have their own recipe and they just... Dist- they distill sort it of sounds like one of those shed. things that's also, like, 87%. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, probably sends you blind. Yeah. Anyway, so, John and Con... <laughs> great name, great names. Kid you not, yeah. Kid you not. John, John and Con, Con Leulius, um grew up with their Macedonian father, born father. So that mm. the, I think, yeah, Macedonian's Balkan region, isn't it? Uh, Southern no, end of it. No, so. Macedonia is just north of Greece. Yeah. Oh well. Oh, well, so is Balkan is different to Baltic. Yeah. It's Bal- Estonia, Bal- Latvia, Lithuania. That's yeah, Baltic. they're Baltic. Balkan is yeah, like. You're um, that sort of north of Greece-ish bit, yeah, yeah. I think. Well, yeah, very much. Okay, so Macedonian father Pando, uh, Pando. dreaming of becoming the first distillery to sell Rakia, a wine-based spirit, mm. fruit wine, in Australia. Over the years, their father shared his secret recipe handed down from father to son for three generations in the hope that the family might one day share the drink with the Australian public. Sadly, while applying for licensing, Pando passed away, giving the brothers the drive to ensure that his dream came true. Mm. And so, yeah, they set up a distillery. Now, 36 short, it's a bit of an interesting name. Yeah, 36S. Yeah. It looks like a compass point, like a... Yeah, 36 degrees south. Mm. Although you will notice that on the bottle it says 36S, but on this bit of the box that I've unscrewed, it actually spells it out, 36 short. Um, Apparently, the name 36 short comes from Pando's suit size. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, where his son's a 36 tall. Yeah, that's it. Is it his inside leg measurement? <laughs> no, that's much longer. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is from a um, place called Virginia. I don't know if we, I don't think we ever passed through Virginia, did we? When Virginia, we USA. Yes, where the uh, the fleet first landed. No, um, Virginia, South Australia. No. So this is a this is forty five percent. It's 
in now I did have this as well. It's it's wine. Wine. Wine 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 wine. Yeah, okay. So when they when the guys started the distillery they, they got into the Raki business. That's what they were sort of gunning for, but then they've gone into like gins and stuff. But eventually they've got to the whiskey. Yeah, they um, discovered that Rakia didn't actually sell so you never know. I reckon there's quite a big Baltic sort of origin population in Australia who's gagging for a bit of Rakia. So, mm. yeah. So this this is produced on a 1,200 litre copper pot still called Pando, oh, yeah. and then it's been in South Australian Shiraz mm. barrels, and then that's so it's it starts off in Shiraz barrels and it's rested in uh, Kentucky bourbon barrels. Interesting. They've gone that way around, mm. whereas um you know often. You age in bourbon, they finish in something like a wine. Whereas these guys have done wine, and then they think this is getting too whiny or too tanniny or too something. Mm. So then it goes into bourbon barrels. Yeah, yeah. so it's, I suppose it finishes maybe, its maturation. Yeah, maybe it's sort of a like a, a resting barrel. Yeah, and I'm surprised people don't do this more. Like because Australia uses small barrels, but the danger is they get overdone. I'm surprised people don't like often use like 700 liter or whatever the highest size available is to still be called a barrel to finish it in because after 18 months it might be like this is done let's just stick this in something that's not going to impart any oak nick it's happened again (laughs) he's struggled to get into the bottle i can't see a tab (laughs) classic ted not not only does this buddy thing have screws in the lid (laughs) get your screwdriver out again i'm sure you can open it with that this is going to end badly (laughs) And so, how did you end up with a screwdriver impaled in your throat? Well, we're drinking some whiskey. Ah, no need to say anymore. <laughs> say no more. It's like after I turned up to the hospital after breaking my leg, and they're yeah. like, so how did you... I'm quite drunk! <laughs> <laughs> it all started when I was three, and I went to a fancy dress bar. <laughs> uh, true story, folks. True, true story. story. Uh, oh, no, the screwdriver helped. I managed, ah. I managed not to impale myself. Excellent. Yeah, well, it's not a very long screwdriver. I'm sure a lot of women have said the same thing. <laughs> Piss off. <laughs> All right. Let's let's break open the seal to show it's real. That was a delicate little... Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Um, I will say also that this is batch number one, bottle 231. You've got the first batch, Ted. First batch, bottle 231, the best bottle. Yeah. 231 is most people's lucky number. Um, so Shiraz barrels. Yeah, and finished in bourbon. I mean, it's a it's, it's a golden color. Yeah, it's quite a quite a sort of a auburn color. Yeah, doesn't suggest full or light. You know what? what? The annoying thing is, if I want to keep it in the box, I've got to carry around a screwdriver <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, um, because literally the piece that you unscrew comes off. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the way to savour it. They're ensuring that you savour it because you have to actually get the bloody screwdriver out every time you want to sip. Yeah, okay. Grapey, grapey nose. Very grapey. I'm not surprised they transferred it into bourbon. Mm. It's it's oily. It smells like brandy. Surely you haven't got the, um, what is it? The, the rakia? The rakia instead. You're right. It's got an intensely sort of grapey, oily, brandy Cognac-y yeah. sort of. And I say this not in a way to be offensive to the whiskey. It's just a tasting note, just to describe what I mean. But a lot of brandies for me have this nail polishy sort of um, note yeah. on the nose. Um, Fruit spirits, yeah. Yeah, and that's there, which is so it makes, weird. I'm getting it makes na- me all nail of, polish remover, like an acetone sort of thing. Mm. 
it makes me think of like hot rocks, like not not sort of like your sauna hot rocks, like being outside in like a hot climate um, vineyard where there's like a lot of stone around like and an it's asphalty like, sort of thing. No, or? not not asphalty. More more like think think of like a a, a vineyard in a hot climate area. And like the the soil is warm, the the day is warm, the rocks are warm, and it's like yeah, just got that sort of warm earth vibe to it. Yeah. Oh, should we should we try it? Yeah, I guess we should. It continues as you'd expect, mm. I think, after that nose. It's um, it's got a bit of a sharp finish, and a sharp um, initial hit. Mm. But yeah, I think there's there's sort of a, it's almost. This is going to sound an odd one, but. A bit of mushroom to it. Yeah, right. Yeah, mushroom I get if you're talking about Ben Nevis. Mm. I'm not sure I I can draw many comparisons with Ben Nevis in this one. But it's also smacks a bit neck pory in the sense that I think like Ooh, I'm swelling. the neck the neck Yeah, the um the imaginary neck pore. We're going to have to come back to this one. I'm just I'm swelling like crazy in my glass to really try and get some oxidation into it just to just to let it open up a bit because yeah. It definitely tastes Australian. Oh, yeah. This would actually pair quite nicely with food, I think. I think it's actually like that sort of wine sort of thing. It's It's got a bit of acid structure to it. It's got a bit of... It's got a bit of tannin. Mm. Um, I actually I actually quite like this palate. Mm. I think it drinks all right. I don't like the nose. Yeah, right. Is it is it that sort of acetone thing that you were talking about? Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe I gave you the first bit of the neck. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's only those few mils, few few millimeters mm. at the top of the thing. No, um, I I certainly think it's got room for improvement, and I think that the spirit itself could improve. But um, batch one, is is this more brandy slash cognac slash rakia? <laughs> yeah, than it is whiskey. I'm led to believe, but maybe they make the cuts in a similar way because mm. you, for rakia, well, for for a brandy or mm. for a fruit. Um, you you, sort of you get a lot of um, heads. Yeah, you get a lot of heads, so you get used to sort of including them. Well, I mean, we certainly do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you you less than me with that screwdriver, but um, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's um the way that you make your cuts would be very different making fruit, mm. schnapps, brandy, whatnot, than it would be for a single malt spirit. And um, yeah, like for me, I think that nose is a bit headsy. Mm. It's crisp and fresh. But I think it that lends itself to aging particularly well. Mm. So does it ever say how long, no. how old it is? Look, I would say it's probably not hugely much more than no. three years. No, I, 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 I doubt that. Look, I don't mind it. I think it's all right. Yeah, I don't mind the palate, but I'm still not convinced by the nose. As I said, I think this would go well with food. I think it's it's just got Christmas freshness that would pair nicely. So I don't disagree with that, but is that truly a compliment for a whiskey? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> right, time to put my screwdriver away. Was it out? I couldn't quite see. Which was your favourite glass of the night? My favourite glass, the one that had the most whiskey in it. Well, Nicholas. I feel like it is time to say Bon Nuit. Yeah, we've just had um, we've done way way back in the uh, start of the episode. We did our 
waffle about car strengths and then the whiskey review of a car strength. But then I, I threw in a few of our pre-recorded segments because um, obviously I'm still overseas in France having a good time. Yes, I miss you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll be home soon. I'll try and bring something nice for us to I shall. I shall pine until you return. <laughs> try and find something nice for us. Although mostly you're there for the wine, so. Yeah, well, you know, I'm... Uh, they're professionally, and there's a lot of inverted commas around professionally, but um, we'll see how it goes. Mm. Uh, until the next time when I can recount my adventures. Keep on waffling. Keep on waffling. I was Ted. Um, sorry, I better swallow it. And I was Nick. Uh, it was car strength that took me a while. <laughs> Good night. Bonne nuit. What does that mean? Good night. <laughs> Whiskey Waffle recommends you drink whiskey responsibly and only if you're above the legal drinking age in your country. Our lawyers made us say that. Or at least, they would have if we actually had lawyers. I can't hear saying you, your equipment and not think you're talking about a penis. Anyway, yeah. continue. <laughs> you, dip, you dip your wick into the uh, barrel. <laughs> you're a spirit <laughs> thief. <laughs>